Last week, our own Ben Shapiro sent out a challenge to Queens congressional candidate Alexandria Gugalize Cortez. Shapiro offered to contribute $10,000 to the bubble-headed dame's campaign if she would debate him. Ms. Gugalize said she did not respond to the challenge to debate because, quote, and I am not making this quote up, I promise, just like catcalling, I don't owe a response to unsolicited requests from men with bad intentions, unquote. To check out this fluffy brain doll's claim that Shapiro was catcalling her when he asked her, a politician, to debate, I went to speak to Ben at the construction site on Sunset Boulevard, where he hangs out most days. Shapiro, or the kosher Casanova, as he's sometimes called, or sometimes the Levite Lothario, was busy shouting at the passing women, quote, hubba hubba, look at the brains on that baby. I'd sure like to get a look at your ideas, sweetheart. We could make beautiful conversation together. If we debated, I would crush your most cherished beliefs because I know you like your debates rough, hot stuff, hubba hubba, unquote. All right, that's probably just a general approximation of the way Ben actually talks, but, you know, it's pretty close. Anyway, this being Los Angeles, many of the passing women seem to be offended by Shapiro's remarks. And in fact, one of them responded, quote, don't get any ideas because I sure don't have any. After all, I'm a leftist, so I'm not that kind of girl, unquote. As for Miss Google Eyes Cortez herself, she says the encounter with the smoldering Shapiro in his red-hot game has <laughs> triggered her and caused her to display signs of Me Too trauma. Bursting into tears, Miss Cortez told reporters, quote, I just feel so dirty and ashamed. I feel like everyone is staring at my ideas and thinking they don't measure up, unquote. Which, okay, is probably true, but it's not Shapiro's fault. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. All right, the Clavenless weekend is over. Ended with kind of a bang for Peter Strzok. He got fired. That was happening just as I came in. We'll try and talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. We have our usual Monday cultural report with Cassie Dillon. Uh, you know, we have to work with the people who still work here, obviously. Uh, meanwhile, before we get to that, we want to talk about honey. Honey is one of the greatest things ever. I am not kidding about this. All it is is you you sign on to this thing for absolutely free, right? It takes, I don't know, it took me about 15 seconds to get on it. Then it works in your computer and it finds deals for you. It gives you coupons for the things you are buying, the things you already want to buy. It's on sites like Amazon, eBay, Walmart, Newegg, J.Crew, and more, and it has saved people over 800 million dollars. It shows up everywhere. I mean, I do like a lot of my shopping on Amazon. That's where I do most of my shopping. And it's constantly giving me these deals. It just it just happens. And you just go to the, the place where you sign out, the checkout place, and it just deducts uh, 45 cents, $1.50 if you're buying a book or something. Right now, you can get my book my book, I just checked it before going on, uh, The Great Good Thing, go on, it gives you like a $1.70 something off the book, you just just for nothing. That's on top of Amazon's ar- uh, discount already. It's just terrific. There's no reason not to use Honey. It's free, and it installs in just two clicks. Get Honey for free right now at joinhoney.com slash Andrew. That's joinhoney.com slash Andrew. No deals, because it's free, and then gives you all the deals you could imagine. Make sure you put in Andrew so they know we sent you. Here is what we learned today from this weekend from these marches. All the hate in this country 
is on the left. All of it. All of it is on the left. Does that mean there's no hateful person on the right? Of course not. There are hateful people everywhere involved with every single philosophy. But there is a big difference between hateful individuals and a hateful philosophy because a hateful philosophy taints and uh, pollutes the minds of everyone it touches. And, it, you know, it's, it's like Christianity versus Islam. They want to attack Christianity, so they find some guy who goes out and maybe he does violence in the name of Christ. Does the Pope support him? No. Does a pastor support him? No. Does anyone in the Christian community, the mainstream Christian community, support violence in the name of Christ? Absolutely not. That guy is out there by himself, just a crazy loon, doing what crazy loons do. That says nothing about the philosophy. But when an Islamist goes out and commits violence, you can find plenty of mainstream Muslims who say, well, he may have gone too far, but... Well, you know, you know, I didn't approve of that, but you can find those guys. And that is something that the decent Muslim community has to address. It has to say, no, wait, we're going to have to reform this. We've got a problem in our philosophy, in our mainstream. And that is what is happening on the left. Here's here's what happened. It was the anniversary of that demonstration in Charlottesville. Right. And the uh, woman was killed by one crazed right winger, an alt right winger who drove a car into him. So he's a crazy guy. And they said, we're going to commemorate this in Charlottesville and in Washington, D.C. And we're going to have the white uh, unite the right. I think they, they called it. Nobody shows up for the white supremacy deal. Nobody. I mean, like 20 guys. So this is like, a, you know, it's like a handful of clowns pushing their. It's just identity politics, by the way. It's not something that the right wing approves of anyway. It's something the left approves of. It's a creation of the left. But let's say they associate themselves with the right. I'm going to accept them as, as some kind of, uh, you know, part of the right wing. The left pours into both these places with Antifa. They are vile, violent, vile, ugly. There weren't that many violent incidences, but the cop got attacked. Reporters got attacked. The filth that was coming out of I mean, let's, let's look at just what they were chanting. I mean, these are, this is a mainstream part of this demonstration in D.C. They, they, let's just listen to what they're chanting. This is cut number four. No border, no wall, no USA at all. No USA. They want the USA wiped off the face of the map. They want it to disappear. That is that not hateful? Uh, yeah, I think that's hateful. If you said that about any other country, it would certainly be hateful. But that is that is mainstream. Well, let me put it another way. It may not be mainstream leftist thought, but the mainstream is on a spectrum with that and does not disapprove of it. Now let's listen to the speech by the uh, right-wing guy. He, is, he describes himself as white identity politics. His name is Jason Kessler. He shows up to give this speech. It's pitiful, right? He's in this bark. There's like you know, 20 guys there. You know, I mean, th- that's, that's, it. that's it. There's 20 guys there in favor of whiteness, I guess. Who knows what the hell they're in favor of. Listen to his speech. A lot of folks are deliberately misconstruing white identity politics today as something that's endorsing the KKK or neo-Nazis. And I think, in fact, there are a lot of people in the alt-right who are encouraging that by trying to be these cartoon Nazis and deliberately stupid and hateful. And I just got to say, I mean, I thank the alt-right to some extent for waking me up 
to the fact that my people had a voice and had people who were going to stand up for them. But I got to say, a lot of the jokes just aren't funny anymore. Give it a rest. We got to be honest. We got to be sincere. Uh, there is a way forward to help white folks, but we cannot be uh, associating with hate or violence or oppression. So even the white supremacist is against white supremacy. Even he, even the, this guy is preaching against hatred and the white, it's not, you know, he calls it white identity politics. Fair enough, you know, that's what he wants to call it. Even he is preaching against what the left is preaching against. Why is one side emboldened to go chanting down the street, destroy America. Why is one side emboldened? And the other guy is basically tied in knots, preaching against his own supporters. Why is that? It's because one is a fringe group. The white supremacy people are a fringe group. If you want to attach them to the right, they are way out there. Look, go ask Ben Shapiro what he thinks about white supremacy. Go ask the most right-wing politician you can find, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, Louis Gohmert. Go ask him. Go ask them. Are they going to give them any credence at all? Are they going to say anything at all that supports them? No. But if you ask the people on the left about these guys, you know, CNN, talk about, we'll talk about leftism. CNN has a, has the, what do they call it? The lower third now? They call it the lower third, where it just says anti-hate groups demonstrate. Do we have a picture of that? Underneath the, the demonstrations of the left, the anti-hate groups show up. The, Wall, uh, the Washington Post says the same thing. Anti-hate groups show up as right-wing, you know, uh, white supremacy rally fizzles. Anti-hate groups. So Benny Johnson of the Daily Caller went out and asked these anti-hate groups what they would do if they came in touch with Donald Trump. Here's cut number five. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up at the Trump? Murder him? Murder him for the people? How about you, man? Man, I'll tell Trump to get on on the floor and scrub those toilets himself. Because he doesn't know how to clean. He needs to learn. He needs to learn how to clean? Scrub some toilets? Yeah. Murder him. I mean, yo, he's America's Caesar except he's a head. So, you gotta take him down. Trump! Trump! If it came down to it and it was a group effort, We'd have to do him like Gaddafi. Like Gaddafi? Yeah. What would you do if Donald Trump showed up? Yeah, no, I might wild out. I'm You'd wild out? out? Yeah. Yeah? I would f with him. He's You'd f him up? Yeah. To be honest, if I get a tattoo, I would do that. What's that? If I get a tattoo, f him up, I would. Chance to f him up? You would. Yeah. Looks like you looks like you you got a system right there. Yeah, yeah. All right. You better stay stick away. Yeah. Hey. How about you? What would you do? I would just I'll smack him. Smack him? Yes. By the way, Benny Johnson, uh, this is he was the interviewer from the Daily Caller. He's reporting now that the Secret Service is none too happy with some of these threats to murder the president. That's what they're talking about. They're out there talking. They're out there spewing this hate, right? These are anti-hate groups, we're told. They're anti-hate groups. So basically, I mean, this is a country of what, 350 million people? So basically, in this country, they could find around 200 white supremacists. I'm sorry, but that is not an issue. That's not a problem, right? And who and who's to blame for all this? Donald Trump. Here is Chuck Todd explaining why Donald Trump is to blame. Look, I think we are in uh, a pretty divided place today. I mean, I think we are probably more racially polarized today than we were a year ago. And as for the president, since Charlottesville, think about the biggest fight he's picked since Charlottesville. The anthem protesters yep. with the NFL and African-American players kneeling there. Uh, it, it's so I don't think if the president has, quote, learned anything, I think in his mind he has seen that this is an effective 
political strategy to keep his base his base. But I could tell you pretty much every other Republican who has to be on a ballot in 2018 believes this is that this is at the core of the Republican Party's suburban voter problem, mm. right? That it is the president's um, continuation of using, um, to be generous, dog whistles. Uh, if Trump is using dog whistles, where are all the haters? Where are the white supremacists? Well, isn't that the way a dog whistle works? You can't hear it. Only only the highly trained ears of Chuck Todd can hear the racism. Only the, the mythology created by the press can hear this racism that's going on. But where are all the dogs if these are dog whistles? You know, on the left, on the left, you have Maxine Waters and Barbara Lee and Danny. These are all Congress people, right? These are Congress people. Andre Carson, Keith Ellison uh, from New York, Gregory Meeks from Al Green. They're all going to Louis Farrakhan rallies. They're all supporting Louis Farrakhan, every single one of them. They're all of them going to his rallies. You see them hugging him, clapping him. Let's, let's listen to Louis Farrakhan for a minute. I wonder, will you recognize Satan? I wonder, will you see the satanic Jew and the synagogue of Satan, which has many races in it? Because Satan has deceived the whole world. Think about the message that I was blessed by God to give you today. No, 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 no. no. Think about what they're going to say. When they have been so thoroughly and completely unmasked. Whenever you read that God has told the Jews to hear and obey, and they say, I hear and I disobey, that's Satan. Openly disobeying God. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the satanic Jews, the satanic synagogue. That's what he's talking about. He's not banned from Twitter. Alex Smith, uh, Alex Jones is banned from Twitter, but not Louis Farrakhan. He's posting that stuff saying, let's look at my takedown of the satanic Jews. That's what he's saying. And, and where, you know, where are the right where are the right wing congressmen showing up at white supremacist rallies? Where are they? Where are they? Where are the right-wing congressmen? They don't exist. But the New York Times does. The New York Times supports identity politics. They've got Sarah John on their editorial board who hates white men. Why, you know, why is it wrong for this poor Jason Kessler to get 20 people together to celebrate white men if they can have on their editorial board this hateful person? You know, the New York Times is Alec Jones. They are Alex Jones. They support the lies and the hate and the conspiracy theories with their Russian collusion. Their op-ed is one attack on Trump after another. They are Alex Jones. You work for the New York Times. You work for Alex Jones. The people you are with are Alex Jones. They're not banned. Their hatred is banned. And all the hate, all of it philosophically, all the philosophical hate is on the left. The hatred of America, the hatred of people who don't sign on, the determination. I mean, the reason they call Trump a racist. And as I've said, I, you know, you've heard me pick on Trump a lot, but I've never said he's a racist. I don't think he is a racist. I think he's helping people in, in tough neighborhoods. He's been doing it from the beginning. 
The reason they call him a racist, though, is he doesn't toe the leftist line. And that's their whole routine. Let, let me just read to you. <laughs> let me just read to you the New York Times description of what happened, right, called Rally by White Nationalists was over almost before it began. Right away, why is that the headline? Why is that the headline? Why isn't it violent Antifa, Antifa takes to the streets, violent leftists take to the streets in anticipation of white rally. Why isn't it that, why isn't that the, the, the line? That doesn't come in until graphs down, long graphs down the, before they start to mention that. Here's the, let me just read the opening. After weeks of hype, white supremacists managed to muster just a couple of dozen supporters on Sunday in the nation's capital for the first anniversary of their deadly rally in Charlottesville, Virginia finding themselves greatly outnumbered by counter-protesters, police officers, and representatives of the news media. But even with the low turnout, almost no one walked away with the sense that the nation's divisions were any closer to healing. This is the same thing as Chuck Where's the division? Where's the division? It's hateful leftists. There are hateful leftists. There are large numbers of hateful leftists who hate the USA, who says no USA at all. There are lo- where's the division? Where's the division? There's, there's no, there's no like left, hateful leftist and then a massive bunch of white supremacists on the other side. If there were, where the hell were they? Where are they? You, you know, produce them, produce the evidence. Almost no one walked away. How do they know almost no one walked away? Maybe a lot of people walked. I walked away thinking, well, that's not a problem. Obviously, our problem in America is not white supremacy. It's obviously not. He goes on, he says, in Washington, the mere threat of another large turnout from the far right coupled with a large turnout from the far left, among them hundreds of black-clad, masked, and helmeted anti-fascist protesters known as Antifa, seemed to indicate that the United States was not over its turn toward European-style politics by street protest. So that's that's essentially saying that, that it's like, you know, it's like 1930s Berlin and the left and the right are taking to the streets and battling each other. But where's the right? Where's the right-wing hate? It doesn't exist. It's only all the hate is at the New York Times. It's at the New York Times, where they're sitting in their editorial board with a woman who thinks white men should die, with a woman who thinks everything in America is bad because of white men. That, you know, that is, they are, and, and, and they are now promoting journalistic dishonesty in their, in their uh, paper. Thomas Friedman on Knucklehead Row. I forgot to load up the song <laughs> Knucklehead Row, but we have sing it to your, sing it quietly to yourselves, and we will get to Thomas Friedman on Knucklehead Row, the op-ed page of the New York Times. He writes, some healthy soul searching is taking place in newsrooms across the country these days over whether the mainstream media should be covering President Donald Trump's every tweet and rally. My answer, absolutely. It's the right thing for us to do professionally. And as this week's election results indicated, it's the right thing to do politically if you want to see a check on Donald Trump's power. It appears that it's the toxic lying, bullying, and unpresidential behaviors that Trump exhibits most in his rallies and tweets, which we in the media so incessantly cover, that is turning off the very moderate, best-educated Republicans and suburban women that Trump will need to hold the GOP majority in the House, let alone get reelected. So bring on the coverage. In other words, he wants Trump covered you know, in detail because he feels it hurt him in the primaries. Remember in Ohio, uh, the Democrat almost won and almost is good enough for the Democrats. So he was saying that coverage is helping him. So he's saying we should cover, do what we have to do to get Democrats elected. That's what he's saying. Newsrooms across the country do what, and by the way, listen to what he thinks is, is turning the tide. He says, I want every American to know that two Trump supporters were spies. <laughs> 
This is a supporter with 10,000 people in it, right? I want every American to know that two Trump supporters were spotted at the president's last rally in Ohio wearing T-shirts that read, I'd rather be Russian than a Democrat. That's whom you're voting with when you vote for Trump. Those two guys. Those two guys wearing joke T-shirts. They're wearing joke T-shirts against the Democrats. They're not shouting no USA at all. That's who you're voting for when you read Thomas Friedman. That's who you're reading when you read Thomas Friedman. Listen to Friedman. You know, Greg Gutfeld was uh, making fun of him, saying, yeah, go ahead, cover Trump. It worked really well for you last time. And uh, Friedman called uh, Greg a, a moron. That's, that's the first thing he goes on. Now, just listen. He's with uh, Michael Smirkonish on CNN. And here's Thomas Friedman describing his strategy. But that's uh, the question I would ask is, how's it working in 2018? You see, what happened in 2016 was Donald Trump was running against Hillary Clinton. And there we know from the polling, there were a lot of moderate Democrats, uh, suburban women, independents. There were just enough that in a choice between Trump and Hillary, ready to say, really don't like Hillary, can't vote for her. I think I'll take a chance on Trump. What's been happening since uh, over the last two years? Trump's been locked at 43% approval, 40, 43% approval, and around 50, 53 disapproval. And I think one of the key reasons for that, and we saw it in the uh, Alabama senatorial election, we saw it in the Pennsylvania by-election, uh, we saw it in the, in the recent uh, election in Ohio, is that um, that group of, of independents, moderate Republicans, and um, uh, and others who are ready to take a chance on Trump versus Hillary are no longer ready to do so because they've got the proof of the last two years of his incredibly um, divisive and toxic behavior. So there is Thomas Friedman, putative journalist, supposed journalist, talking about how to cover Trump so you hurt him. How do you cover Trump so you hurt him? And now listen to the question Smirkonish asks him after this. So let me play devil's advocate. The polling data suggests that his standing among Republicans, I think the latest Gallup number is 89% approval. So where's the evidence of these moderate Republicans who are leaving isn't instead the explanation for both the Ohio 12th or the Pennsylvania special election, that there's great enthusiasm among Democrats, but not that Republicans are turning their back on the president. I don't think so. I think the polling, uh, I don't think you can explain that big a gap um, uh, in, in the Ohio election. A district, Michael, that has not sent a Democrat to Congress in over three decades, almost sending one now, let alone the Alabama election. I, I, I'm sure there is greater d Democratic enthusiasm. But by the way, let's say um, he's lost you know, he, he, he only has 89 percent. Let's say he has 80 percent among Republicans. He just narrowly won those states. So those are two journalists discussing. The other guy said, I'm playing devil's advocate. He didn't say I'm playing devil's advocate. Maybe we should just tell the truth. Maybe we should just report the news. Maybe we should hire some guys who support Trump. So we get the, uh, that's playing. Devil, that would be playing devil devil's advocate. Right. He's not playing. He's saying maybe it won't work. Maybe it won't work. Maybe there's another way. How do we hurt him best? How do we hurt? They're on TV discussing this. And then, you know, Brian Stelter is going to come on and say, no, 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 we cover everything straight. They're on television discussing how journalists can report the news in such a way that it hurts Donald Trump. Where is this stuff on the right? Where is the hatred on the right? I mean, where, you know, cops were beaten up by these Antifa jerks, you know, reporters. Was it NBC? NBC, I think, or ABC had an affiliate's uh, audio cable cut and they're screaming at the reporters. They're screaming to get your mic out of my face and all this, all the, you know, the foul language that they're using constantly. Hey, here, play it. Go ahead. 
Don't be shoving on people. What's wrong with you? Yeah, and get that out of my face. Hey, 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 He cut his audio. They put out a statement that that was unacceptable. They didn't cover it. They didn't put it out on the news. You know, who who doesn't want to be seen by the press? Who doesn't want to be seen by the press? The people who are doing stuff that's wrong. Who doesn't want to be on camera? Who wants to cut your audio feed? You know, why? And by the way, the cops, the cops who exercised restraint, having these foul people, you know, foul mouth them and didn't beat the living daylights out of them. Good for them. Good for the police. But they're 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 my hero for their my heroes for their restraint in dealing with these clowns. But where is this stuff? Where on the where on the right do you hear people saying we should cover the news so that we hurt the left? Where do you hear that? You don't even hear it on Fox. You don't hear Brett Baer saying that saying that he plays it. He plays it straighter than any newsman on television. I do not understand. I do not understand why people go to work at The New York Times knowing it's a hate filled, dishonest paper where their top op ed guy is uh, saying that they should lie or do whatever they can to destroy an opposition candidate. I don't understand where there's any honor in that. I don't understand how, where, where, how you feel how you respect yourself if you work for an organization like that. I mean, it is just it is just amazing. All the hate, all the dishonesty is on the left, and yet it's the right who's getting censored. It's the outlier, like Alex Jones they're worried about, instead of worrying about the true, true radicals like the New York Times and CNN. All right, we got Cassie Dillon coming up to discuss feminism. My favorite thing. But, come, but we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe. We need your money. And even if we didn't need it, we want it that badly that you should just give it to us. All right. It's 10 bucks a month for a subscription, 100 bucks for the year. You get the leftist tears tumbler. You get all your problems solved in the mailbag. What's not to like? Cassie Dillon coming up. All right. Before, I, well, let me introduce Cassie first, and then I'm going to play. We're going to play the F is for feminist. So, okay. Uh, Cassie Dillon is the founder of the website Lone Conservative and has contributed to the Wall Street Journal, Campus Reform, and The Hill. She is a staff writer here at the Daily Wire, which is you know one of the, one of the many reasons why we have her on today is we want to work with people who still work here. And so, so Cassie, I'm going to talk to you as an, an official woman. I'm going to talk to you about feminism. But first, I want to play my video from the Lefties Dictionary. I want to replay it in case people missed it. Uh, F is for feminism. F. F is for feminism. Feminism is a movement to end the unfair treatment of women by having women complain about every little thing until you just can't stand them. Before feminism, women were forced to stay at home, shaping the souls of a new generation until their children rose up and called them blessed. They weren't allowed to do important stuff like running the amalgamated widget company while underpaying poor minority women to stay at home and shape the souls of a new generation after the poor minority women had dropped their own children off at unclean, overcrowded daycare centers. Conversely, before feminism, men got all the breaks and were allowed to do cool stuff like work for a living and try not to sleep around, even though they really wanted to. Today, though, because of feminism, women have many rights they never had before. They have the right to miss the experience of raising their children by working eight hours a day for a man who doesn't care about them before going home to ruin their children's lives by spoiling them because they feel so guilty about not having been there all day. They have the right to enjoy meaningless sex just like men do, and then get incredibly depressed and feel as if they'd been used and treated like a piece of meat because they were used and treated like a piece of meat by men who enjoy meaningless sex much more than women do. 
They have the right to daydream that a man will come and rescue them and take care of them and then feel guilty about it because feminism told them they're not supposed to daydream that, but they do anyway. And they have the right to blame their problems on men until no man on earth would want to talk to them and they're forced to spend the best years alone pretending that's okay when it's really not, but they're not allowed to say so. Before feminism arose in the 1970s, according to a recent not-made-up study, women judged themselves to be happier than men. Since the advent of feminism, women's happiness and satisfaction have declined until now men report themselves to be happier. When asked why they were less happy after feminism than before, women said, shut up, I don't want to talk about it, just leave me alone. Then they ran away, sobbing uncontrollably. F is for feminism. I'm Andrew Claven with the Lefties Dictionary. Cassie, let me begin by apologizing for subjecting you to that hate-filled uh, diatribe. I'm, I'm very triggered. <laughs> you look triggered. I, I, I can see that. But you have had your run-ins with feminism. I mean, you haven't always been the best friend feminism has. Isn't that fair to say? Well, I went to an all-women's college, so I had the run-in with all the feminists, <laughs> different sides, intersectionalists. People who are just second waivers, who is probably just me. Um, and then certainly some people who wanted to push that into other people, people who just hated men. So I run into it all. I had it on my very first day in college. I went to our orientation, which is where they indoctrinate you first in college. And they put a girl on stage and she had her hair in a ponytail and they cut off her ponytail in front of everyone. Ah. And people were applauding and, and shouting and screaming down at the patriarchy. It was very disturbing. <laughs> I, really I was disturbing. like, where am I going to college? What am I getting myself into? Why, what, what did we have to, what did patriarchy have to do with her ponytail? Well, we actually have this thing called the Moho Chop. So I went to Mount Holyoke, so Moho is short for that. And they call it the Moho Chop, which is when you cut off all your hair and look like a boy. Oh. I kept my long hair. I think I might have the longest hair in that college, or I did. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a rite of passage to cut your hair off at that school. Wow. Okay, so now explain to me the difference between first, second, how many waves of feminism are there now? I think we might be going into our fourth wave. Okay. But so, I'm going to say there's three for simplicity, but I think there's a fourth one developing. Okay, so explain the differences to me. Sure. So first wave is right to vote. Second wave is to go into the workforce. And as your video says, uh, to not stay at home with your children necessarily. Okay. And then third wave is kind of the intersectionality and also the hatred of men. So there's two different aspects to it, which is fourth wave is kind of more intersectionality. But I'm going to lump fourth and third together because they're very similar and they kind of are overlapping still. So. Okay. Now, just I, I'll get back to I'll get back to my video in a minute. But but as, as you go to an all women's college, you see this happening. What effect does it have on the actual women who are doing this? Well, they're very unhappy. They don't really know what they're doing there. So at Mount Holyoke, we have a lot of women who actually go there and then explore their sexuality and, and you know, meet other women um, and then leave and then marry men. So it's hmm. kind of like they're having fun in college and doing this rebellious nature. For instance, one of my guy friends went to one of the parties and it was all women. He was one of the only guys. And he took a video right after the election where he just screamed, I hate men. And followed after this video, everyone starts cheering. It's kind of freaking me out when you see these things because they honestly do hate men. It's it's really scary. And does this come from like a personal experience? Have these have these girls, I guess they are in the in college, do they have personal experiences that make them hate men or are they just told that they hate men because the world is an evil patriarchy? 
Well, they want to join the sisterhood. And so in order to join the sisterhood, you have to hate men. They, okay. Men don't necessarily have to have done something bad to you. You see in Parents Weekend that they show up with their with their fathers and they're very nice to their fathers. But when it comes to, you know, men at the neighboring schools, we have to hate them. We have to talk bad about them because that's the only way you can prop yourself up as a woman nowadays. A third wave feminism is by hating men instead of propping up each other. Wow. Okay. So... So let's let's talk about this video because I mean here's here's the thing I want everybody to do whatever he or she wants I truly do I mean I want you to have your best life I want everybody to have his or her best life that they want where where do I go wrong in this video why why should why are you why am, should I be triggered <laughs> <laughs> Well I think your video is very humorous and it does a really good job talking about second wave feminism but like you said in the video women are unhappy and I think you need to go a little bit further and explain that because they're unhappy, which I do think that working, being in the workforce could make you unhappy. There's a lot of stress there, but I do believe in individualism. And if a woman wants to work, go ahead. Of course. But we too. shouldn't yeah. be we shouldn't be taking down housewives, which third wave feminism does. How dare you stay at home with your children? You're not adding to the society. You're being lazy, which is what you hear from these feminists towards uh, housewives. And I think the major problem is because they're unhappy, they're blaming it on men instead of blaming on them for not making career choices that would make them happy or having children. So I think the problem is they just need to stop blaming it on men and realize they're unhappy and try changing it. But I, obviously, I think women should be in the workforce. I mean, I'm working here with you now. Right, right. But but then, well, then let me ask you, I don't want to get too personal, but I mean, when you look at what your your best life looks at looks like, uh, if you do, do you want to have children? Let me ask that first. I mean, is that something that you want in your future? Absolutely. I come from a really small family, so I want to have a big family. I want to have like six children. Wow. Um, and luckily in my career, I can take a few months off and raise the children because I used to work in a daycare and I see the problem with infants who are away from their mothers at a really young age. I had four week olds that I was taking care of that saw me and the other teachers as their mother more than their actual mothers. And I think that's a problem. Um, but I definitely want to have a lot of children and I plan on working as well, um, possibly, but definitely not right when I have the child. I, I mean, first of all, I'm delighted to hear a conservative woman say she wants to have six children. That is, that's, <laughs> I, I, want to, I want us to reproduce as much as, as possible. Uh, yeah. So now you have, I mean, six children is a lot of children. That, that, you know, but but even even two children is a lot of children. One child is a lot of children. Is is there any sense in which, uh, you know, I I look at little children and I think that kid for at least the first three years of life needs a mom. Yeah. And now that makes me obviously a patriarchal uh, oppressor. Am I wrong? Well, I think that a lot of people nowadays are using the grandparents as being the caregivers, which I think uh -huh. is a lot better than having a daycare or even a nanny. So I think right. that's really important to have. So if you are in a family where you have that option, I think that's really important. But I do see the point of having a child with their mother at a really young age. That's why I think it's so important that millennials prefer working from home, which is what a lot of us do. Even at The Daily Wire, we have a lot of people who work from home. Sure. So sure. I think there has to be a balance. And obviously, there isn't a blanket solution to any of it. I, I, I mean, the, the other aspect of this is for yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to miss, you know, do you want to miss your child's first steps? Do you want to miss not be there when those things happen? I mean, isn't that part of... Uh, being a mother, I'm, I'm asking you. I'm not. You don't have to. You don't have to give me the answer <laughs> I want. I'm just want to know. You know. Well, as a 22 year old, it's you know I do think about having children, but obviously I'm still young and no. not quite at that that part in my life yet. But obviously, I definitely want to be there for those things with my future children. Um, but then I think that when my when my children grow up and they can be like, wow, my mommy is on Andrew Clavin's show. How cool is that? You know, you want to continue doing those things as well. So I think it really depends on the woman. But I do think housewives are some of the most honorable people out there because what they do is so important for our future. Well, this is this is the thing that really does bother me about feminism. A lot of guys are upset by what feminists say about men. But 
I don't really like feminists, so I don't care what they say about me. You know, I mean, it just doesn't bother me. What does bother me is that they sell. They they seem to me to be against uh, feminine values, the things that women value. As I I've hung out with plenty of women, and they don't value the same things that men value. They have a different hierarchy, you know, of of values. That seems to me to be a good thing. It seems to me a good thing that there should be two kinds of people in the world: one with one hierarchy of values and one with another. Do you feel as a woman under attack by feminists? Yeah, I do. And I think that there's some different aspects where women or feminists put women into boxes and don't let them come out of it um, in some aspects. And I think one of it is first, the right to have a firearm, especially to be able to protect yourself on no campus. Yeah. So that's something that feminists are like, women don't need that. We don't need firearms. Well, you're putting me in a box. I thought we're equal to men. So why can I not defend myself? I need an equalizer. I'm not strong as men. And if something does happen on campus, like they say one in four, which it's not one in four. That's insane. That's more dangerous <laughs> right. than most parts of uh, conflict-torn regions in the Middle East or Africa. Um, but if that's true, then why doesn't my campus even allow pepper spray? We're not allowed to have pepper spray, even though it's legal in my state no pepper spray at all, and no firearms, that's out of the question. Don't even talk about firearms. So I think that there's different aspects where feminists put us in boxes. And if you really want to be equal to men, then get an equalizer and take care of yourself. Why, why, what's, what's the logic of that? Why aren't you allowed to have a gun? I mean, then you have, don't you have to then call a big manly cop to protect you? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't I mean, it does seem to me that one of the best uses of guns well, is for women's protection. Well, my campus police weren't even armed. They only had batons. They didn't even have tasers. No tasers, no guns, and they're my campus police. So if something happens, I'm supposed to go and find a blue light, press the blue light, and wait 10 minutes for a police officer to show up <laughs> yeah. who's unarmed? Are you right. kidding me? So I think that we should be able to protect ourselves. And from a really young age, I learned how to shoot a firearm with my grandfather, and I think I'd feel a lot more safe having one. So you, you worked at a, a daycare center. Yes. Obviously, you're ta taking care of both boys and girls. One of the things I noticed, I mean, I had a boy and a girl and, and was a parent with people who had boys and girls. One of the things I always noticed is that if you gave a, a little girl, I'm talking about little kids, you gave her a book and you walked away, you came back and she was reading the book. If you gave a boy a book, you walked away and you came back and he had leapt out the window, killing himself and everyone on the street below. Did you find in dealing with little boys and little girls, and you're dealing with, you were dealing with really little kids, as you say, yeah. there's a difference, right? Yeah, so I, I had infants all the way to age 13. So I've seen the child development across the entire spectrum. But yes, there's absolutely a difference. Our troublemakers were typically boys. We never really had girls that were troublemakers right. unless they had some really big problems at home. We had a lot of homeless children as well. So I got to see a lot of different uh, development issues with those children. So yeah, you can definitely see the different toys they play with. Even though when I was a kid, I really loved playing with Hot Wheels. You know, people are different, yeah. Sure. Yeah, so you know, they can be different. But I think that when you see all these feminists saying, well, let's give our little boys dolls because we want them to be gender fluid. Well, let them play with what they want to play with. I have no problem with a boy picking out a doll and playing with the doll, but to force it on your children because you think your two-year-old might not be a female or a male, but they're gender fluid, is kind of ridiculous to me. So here's my last question. Uh, and by the way, I want to thank you for elevating this uh, <laughs> the Monday cultural segment above its usual level. Uh, you're, here, here you are. You're working at the Daily Wire. A little bit of a boys club here, I think. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, she left. I'm Alicia. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, so wh what would you say to the guys around you who are men of goodwill, like I said, all I want is, you know, what, what's it to me? I want you to have your, I want you to be a happy person. So what would you say to them if, if you wanted to get them to know, know like one thing that maybe guys do that they shouldn't do or don't think about, what is it that you would have them do? 
Oh, man. Well, I think a lot of things that guys have issues with, especially in the internet, because I think men don't know how to interact with women anymore. That's yeah. partly because the feminists are saying you can't do certain things. And also because men are too lazy to go up and talk to a woman. So they kind of go in and slide in your DMs and stuff. I think guys have a lot of social awkwardness that they really need to work out. They need to have more confidence when talking to women, but not be too overbearing where it kind of creeps me out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's one thing they need to work on is how to talk to women. You know, I, I have noticed, by the way, that that younger men who grew up under feminism are are angrier at women than guys my age who always liked the differences between men and women. We always enjoyed those differences, but nobody ever told us that it was bad to do that. Where I feel these guys were told that you're not supposed to see the differences, and now they're angry to find out that they were told untrue things. I think that's absolutely true. I yeah. think men are kind of angry because they don't know how they're supposed to act when you're getting told that masculinity is toxic then what are you supposed to be? I find in my dating life that there's a lot of guys out there who don't know how to be men. Mm. They're very girly. I actually dated a Democrat last summer, which ah. Yahoo News loved to interview me about that. They thought that was <laughs> hilarious. And it didn't go well because I think that chivalry's dead and it shouldn't be. And I think that men just don't know how to act towards women nowadays. And it's really sad. All right. Well, thank you very much, Cassie. One piece of advice. Don't date Democrats. It's very <laughs> bad news. I'll write my own book on it. <laughs> All right. Cassie Dillon of The Daily Wire. Thank you very much for coming on, Cassie. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, well, see, see, you know, I, like we got to She didn't throw anything at me. It's like well, she probably will when I walk outside. But... <laughs> All right. Our crappy culture. <laughs> so. I gave a edgy speech uh, on Friday to my friends at uh, Young America Foundation. It was really nice because I went up to Santa Barbara, where I used to live, and it was a big lunch, and the place was filled with, uh, you know, with donors to the to YAF, but also with high school students, and. Um, and it was really nice because I looked over and there at the table right near the speaker's podium were all the guys who used to beat me in tennis when I lived up there. <laughs> all these guys going, yeah, it looks like he's slowed down probably. But uh, it was really lovely to see old friends. But I, the reason I call it an edgy speech, because I knew as I was going up there that I was going to, you know, the easy thing when you give these speeches is to serve out the red meat. If you shake your fist, if you condemn the, the left, you know, you're going to give a successful speech and you know it. But I, I wanted to give a slightly more complex speech because I am, after all, an artist. And an artist's job is different than a, a political commentator. An artist's job is just to describe things so well that you kind of know what you should do going forward and what might happen going forward just because you've described things accurately. So I gave a speech about Donald Trump and how his worst how and why his worst attributes are, are helpful to the right and what that means for us as conservatives and what it means for the future. And I knew that people who love Donald Trump, you know, the kind of Dinesh D'Souza, Trump is Lincoln camp, I knew they weren't going to like the speech. And I knew that people who hate him, the never-Trumpers who think he's degrading uh, the, uh, the dialogue and is degrading the office of the presidency, I knew they weren't going to like the speech because I had a lot of good things to say about Trump as well. That covers everybody. I figured there'd be, by the time I looked up at the end of the speech, I thought there'd be like one person who was just too drunk to get in. I was, yeah, I can't, I'm, I just wandered in. I don't actually belong to EF, you know. But, but actually, they were very, uh, they I, it was greeted with enthusiasm. And I just want to reiterate a couple of points that I made because I think that they really do talk about our crappy culture. Uh, first of all, one thing I said about Trump is that the people always ask why Trump and Reagan can't be like Reagan, who was so elegant and so soft-spoken and so uh, graceful all the time. And I said, you know, Reagan was a creation of 
40s, 50s culture, you know, 50s, 60s, 40s, 50s. Those are the things. It's as you're growing up that the culture really shapes you and affects you. He was shaped by all the old movies, all the old ideas, the America of consensus, the American where the left and the right were basically fighting over the 50-yard line, but all agreed that we should be free. Trump, he is a product of 60s and 70s culture. He is a product of the left's culture. The left owns the culture after 1968. It is Completely, the culture has fallen apart. They make, they say, oh, well, he slept with a Playboy bunny. That's their culture. The right didn't want that. The right didn't want a world where people were sleeping around all the time. The right wanted a world of marriage, wanted a world of religion. It wanted a world of respect. It also wanted a world of heroes, you know, and, and they destroyed that and they created, it's the left, it's Hollywood that created reality TV, which elevates rudeness. It elevates uh, conspiring against your neighbor. It elevates, uh, you know, just treating people like garbage. All that stuff is what Trump comes out of. And that's why I always compare him to Godzilla, you know, where the Japanese set off the nuclear bomb and then, or a nuclear bomb is set off and then the monster comes out. They set off the bomb. But what I what I said about this is the reason this has helped the right is because the left has corrupted the culture so badly that an, a person who adhered to politeness would be tied up in knots. They took over our manners and basically said it's wrong. It's racist to say there are problems in the black community. There are problems with uh, African-American, poor African-American culture. They are the ones who said that's racist. They are the ones who said, oh, if you say, you know, hey, you know, these, these Muslims have a little bit of a problem with killing innocent people, that you are some kind of bigot instead of just observing the world. They're the ones who made our system of manners a mental prison. And Trump, because he's a rude guy, broke through that prison. And that's why he is won the affection of so many Republicans. And, and I went on and, and talked about his character, which, look, you can love Trump all you want, but he va- brags about, he bragged about uh, committing adultery. He bragged about, uh, you know, being unkind. He, he's unkind to other people. You know, some of the stuff he said about Ted Cruz was really wrong. It's just, it doesn't become right because we get things that we want. It doesn't become right. You know, it's, it's wrong. But, but it's the left that made character assassination a form of argument. It's the left that said when Mitt Romney said we should give some tax breaks to corporations, they're the ones who said, oh my God, he stuffs women into binders. He puts dogs on roof. He bullied a kid in high school. You know, they're the ones who used ad hominem attacks instead of dealing with arguments, instead of saying, you say this, but here are the facts. And that, that they don't do that. You know, it's, it's the right that does that. It's the right that argues ideas. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that Trump's success and our the benefits that he has given in doing stuff that is basically just basic right of center conservative governance, constitutional governance. Nothing he's done is radical. Nothing he's done is over the top. Everything he's done is within the Constitution. He hasn't broken any laws that we know of. He hasn't done anything like Obama did, spying on people and shutting people down with the IRS. Hasn't done any of that stuff. But the the bad the fact that it took a man of his character to do this tells us what happened when we let the culture go. Every time I talk about the movies or even joke about the Oscars or anything like that, I get letters from people saying to me, don't waste your time on that. I haven't been to a movie in 15 years. Well, guess what? The culture doesn't go away. It doesn't get off your lawn just because you say like, I don't care about that culture. You know, It's always there and it's always shaping people. And if we don't shape it, the left shapes it. And 
you know, what they expected, they expected to destroy the culture. They expected to bring the adultery. They expected to bring the rudeness. They, you know, who, who was it who told us we could use all these words? It was the left. You know, they expected to bring the rudeness. They expected to bring the harshness and bring the bullying, but they never expected it to blow up in their faces. And that's what's happening. And so when I talk to the right about how they should get involved in the culture and how they should make art and how they should build studios and build uh, social media, the left ought also to think about what happens when you start with identity politics. When you create identity politics, there's no, you have no argument against the, the, the white people who say, okay, if it's identity politics is the rule, here's white identity politics. You have no argument at the New York Times when you hire Sarah Jung against haters on the right because you're a hater on the left. You know, maybe the left too should start to think about the art they make and the stuff they put on television and the stuff they say in, in public because now it's blown up in their face and they deserve every little bit of it. Tomorrow, we'll be back. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Emily Jai. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.